What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Sam, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, Let's get started here right away. And I'd love to hear in your opinion, what isn't talked enough about in the business conversation around accessibility and disability inclusion? The thing I talk about a lot that I don't hear people talking about as much as I wish they were, is the way in which such an enormous percentage of tech innovation is built around and started in the accessibility space. Mm. I took a deep dive just a couple of days ago to what in in Britain was the first kind of online shopping uh, experience. Tesco was involved and and a bunch of stores were involved. Uh, And it was in 1984, before the internet was a thing. And they had invented what they were calling online shopping, specifically for people with disabilities who found it difficult to go to the store who couldn't leave their homes. Mm -hmm. And there are examples of that time and time again. If you think about the electric toothbrush in the physical mm-hmm. world, it was created for people who couldn't make those motions, who couldn't brush their teeth. And then suddenly we discovered, hey, well, actually, we all don't do a great job brushing our teeth. The electric toothbrush is, is better. And so whenever we include people with disabilities, whenever we include accessibility in what we're doing, what we really do is find better more flexible, easier, more convenient, more customizable, more adaptive ways of doing things. And isn't that what innovation is? Yeah, I love that. I know of OXO as well. You know, do you know the OXO uh, brand of they've got kitchen appliances and kitchen tools? You, you know, you know them, Sam? Yes. Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, the, they have the like grip. Uh... Big, thick grips and they're and they're black. And it was originally uh, started because the wife of the inventor, she had uh, arthritis and she had a hard time gripping small objects. And it was really difficult for her to uh, to work in the kitchen. So the I think it was the peeler that that was the first device that he 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 invented or, or, or he engineered. I've got one in my uh, in my one of my junk drawers downstairs. Uh, I, I pull it up whenever I do, you know, speaking engagements as well, if anyone wants that. And I, and I show it on screen because it, it really does help. And now, Hey, if you go to Kitchen Stuff Plus or whatever like that, they're everywhere. Because they're they're better. They're better. And it applies in, in the tech space as well. I mean, think about think about our Google Homes and mm-hmm. think about our series and our digital assistants. And think about how every time you make something more convenient for yourself, you're enabling someone else to do something that they couldn't before. When I got a smart thermostat as part of my smart home, right? It was the first time that I could know what temperature it is in here and and set the temperature myself. And of course, now the joke is, how do I how do I know if I'm cold? And the Siri tells me. Um, but but um, <laughs> it's funny how you can get so attached to something so quickly. Um, but it's it's more convenient to do it with your voice for a lot of people. And for some people, it, it enables a new thing to be possible. And I, I can't think of any way that you could enable somebody who is blind or or somebody who um, has, has physical challenges mm-hmm. 
in a way that wouldn't make things better and more convenient for everyone. Emma's responding with touch screens, Enrique saying keyboard shortcuts, Sandy saying Vince Cerf came up with email to stay in touch with his deaf wife. I did not know that, Sandy. That's a really good one. I, I just love all these these comments, and you're absolutely right. We don't we don't lean into this enough to show innovators that hey. If you are considering people with disabilities, you are already innovating. It's it's, it's great stuff. Great story from my father about mm. about email. Um, my father was was also blind, um, which so I've been sort of soaking in the accessibility space, uh, you know, since I was born. <laughs> you're a, you're an accessibility lifer, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I mean, it makes me passionate. I, I love talking about the history of accessibility because I think there's so much. Sometimes they call it tribal knowledge or or historical knowledge that that is being lost. And if we if we don't understand the past and and the decisions like vis- that visionaries and luminaries like folks like Jim Thatcher, um, who my father was privileged to work with in, on, on OS two, um, if we don't understand not only the decisions that they made but why they made them, we're going to make those same mistakes again. Absolutely. Um, yep. Anyway. Th- that, that aside, my father uh, worked at IBM back in the day, and IBM decided that they were going to roll out email, and they were going to start by rolling it out to all of their managers. Mm-hmm. But my father filed an application because he is someone who's blind. Email would be of great value to him. So he also got email, him and all of the managers. And so, of course, he was saying, well, I never worked so hard in my life because I could be reached by email, whereas the manager had to get up and go to someone's desk if they wanted them. <laughs> so... <laughs> IBM has a bunch of innovations in the world of accessibility. Speech to text and and text to speech was also you know pioneered by IBM. Don't quote me the years, but I remember that was a big part of of their con- uh, contributions to the world of of, uh, of accessibility as well. Well, I mean, we give kudos to Apple for and and they were it was very important. First of all, the first built in screen reader on a smartphone. Yeah. Uh, and and second of all, the first mainstream built in screen reader as part of an op- of, of an operating system. Mm-hmm. But like screen reader. And it was literally called Screen Reader. Was built in to OS two, right? Like that's where the name Screen Reader came from. And it's also think about the computing limitations that we had when OS two was being released in the eighties. And they managed to put a screen reader in their operating system with you know the limits on disk space and the limits on memory and the limits on CPU power. And so it really makes me frustrated when people say, "Oh, we can't put a screen reader on our set-top box because it doesn't have a big enough CPU," or "Or we can't include accessibility because it'll make something too bulky or it'll take too much space." Or like they were they were doing this back in the eighties. And so h- how much has computing increased? I mean, I remember <laughs> when I got my first computer, and that thirty megabyte hard drive was such a big. De- I mean, who needs more than than one hundred and twenty? kilobits of ram i mean come on like why would you need any more than that ever oh exactly yeah um he says on his 16 gig uh, laptop Um, I want to hear also if you've ever been in a conversation with someone, a business lead, a business owner, CEO, you know, leadership person, stakeholder, something like that, when they say, why is accessibility important? So how do you answer that question from your point of view? It depends on the stakeholder, doesn't it? I think mm-hmm. we make the um, mistake of believing that all stakeholders can be talked to in the same way. Some stakeholders are the engineering types and they're the dreamers and they're going to be concerned with innovation and they're going to care about innovation. Other stakeholders are going to be more concerned with the social wins of accessibility. And it's not necessarily the best reason to do accessibility, and it's not certainly not the only reason to do accessibility. But right now, we are in a new world where 
there are so many new challenges in accessibility that are being solved. And think about the video game The Last of Us 2 for PlayStation that was, right. you know, the first console game that could be fully played by a blind person. That was getting coverage in the mainstream press for like right, a year and a half. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so when I say the social good of accessibility, it's not only about charity. It's about your company getting people's precious attention. Absolutely. Yep. Another thing that I'll, I'll talk about is when you develop a product or a service that is accessible and great and easy to use, people with disabilities are some of your most loyal customers. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because, oh, we have warm and fuzzy feelings because you did accessibility, although sometimes that is the case, but also because if you are a person with a disability and, and, and you've built your workflows around whether it's a music player or a podcast app or your smart home device or, or whatever it is, you're not going to, you know, rejigger all those other, all, those, all that stuff when mm -hmm. you already have a company that you trust to work with. And so there's a lot of brand loyalty there. Another thing that I talk about is the network effects of accessibility. If people think, oh, well, accessibility, it, it's just for people with, with disabilities, which first of all, are one in five in the population, if not all of us, if you think about situational yeah. disabilities. But second of all, like, if StreamYard wasn't screen reader accessible, we couldn't use it today. Absolutely. Right. Because I need it to be accessible. If if your messaging app isn't accessible, if anyone, any of your acquaintances or your coworkers or your family members are people with disabilities, suddenly you're not going to use that app because exactly. you can't use it with them, whether mm -hmm. it's task sharing or messaging or or any of those things. Or if you're buying smart home products odds are if you don't have a disability there's someone in your house who lives with a disability or who, lo who you love and who comes to visit you who has a disability and so you're not going to buy an inaccessible product you know what sam i really appreciate that you're talking about these like dollars and cents for it and i know that's a really big part of what i talk about or try and talk about a lot because this is the reality of i think what our industry needs to needs to realize there is like what you said that warm and fuzzy feeling which is really important and and we all have to know about the value of of highlighting you know the why we're doing this for people with disabilities but you know the reality of somebody who is a stakeholder or a leader is going to say show me the money right that's what they're going to say they're going to say show me the money and if we can have a logical and informative conversation around that then man we are going to start to move mountains we are because if it, it, we're going to be invited to more conversations because people are going to say hey that person there that we invited that we hired as an accessibility consultant they're not only talking about warm and fuzzies they're also talking about return on investment and they're also talking about how we can innovate in ways that that we've never thought of before. And I think this is just so hugely valuable. I sometimes tend to avoid directly using the phrase return on investment mm, okay. because accessibility, like marketing, is often not a thing that is directly 100% measurable. Right. Right. You can't say, oh, we put in voiceover support and so we got $8.3 million, mm -hmm. right? You can't, how do you, how do you know that Cam made the decision to use StreamYard because it's accessible to his guests? Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yep. You don't know that and so when people say return on investment they tend to want like an exact measurable value mm -hmm. and, and i can't give you that and i don't want to be drawn into like oh well if there's not that value then then it is just just warm and fuzzy and well no if you're saying that you're saying your whole marketing budget is, is is warm and fuzzy and like it's not stakeholders understand that they need to do things for their company that return value that is money but that is difficult to directly measure in Absolutely. that way and that we don't 
we don't want to directly measure, right? I don't want to turn over to every app that I use that I'm a person with a disability. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, so if not return investment, what would you use instead? Because I like that thread that you're going on. Yes, this it, there's sometimes a, it's difficult to put a line between the importance and the results of it. What would you use instead? Yeah, I, I, I specifically talk about unlocking innovation mm-hmm. and the network effects and the attention that is drawn and the increase in brand loyalty. Uh, sometimes I'll even talk about opening up new markets, right? The education mm-hmm. market, highly regulated, the government market. If you're not accessible, you can't be in these markets. And there are so many companies, sometimes you hear the story of, oh, well, we, we're never going to go into that that market, right? Maybe we're we make a, we're, we're Discord. We make a message messaging platform for gamers. Yep. But your business expands. Suddenly, Discord is rolling out a business messenger product to complete with, compete with Slack. Right? Exactly. Yep. And and so if you choose not to do accessibility, not only are you know none of my Dungeons and Dragons groups going to be using Discord because I'm part of them, which that's a bunch of people, but like also you're making a decision that is closing future doors for you. Um, now, I will say, I, I do want to put out there for the record, I'm not picking on Discord. They have done a great job uh, in accessibility. They've partnered yeah. with the ACB in the United States. They've they've done a lot of work, and they're now at the point where it's it's perfectly usable across mm-hmm. all of the platforms. If you if you are someone who is blind or someone who is doing something that involves blind folks, don't don't be afraid of Discord. They were just an example. Yeah, I actually use Discord as well, and I was surprised at how friendly they were towards the the disability community in in a good way. I don't mean that they were not unfriendly before things like that they were quite accommodating even though they were a little bit slow a few years ago i think they've caught up in in a lot of ways to that as well but you know discord did the 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 brave thing a few years ago because there were a lot of petitions from the community very upset yeah that discord wasn't accessible at that time and so discord hired someone to be responsible for accessibility and to Mm -hmm. be part of the team and then nothing seemed to happen and he got a lot of pushback from that for, for like not doing anything and and he would repeatedly say in public well i have to create process yes if i just make it accessible now it's not going to stay that way that's right that's right and so it took him a couple of years and i wasn't you know present at any of the internal meetings or whatever but like i suspect it was it was a hard time yeah for yeah. discord to get this pressure from the community and the community's not seeing anything happen and they're still angry but to to actually do the right thing and put the processes involved so that like now there, there don't seem to be, you know, new updates break things that previously worked. And like, that's, that's important. And I don't, I don't know where I'm coming down. I'm not saying like never listen to users or never listen to user protest, but like there is something there in the community that for obvious reasons, right? We want it accessible and we want it now. Yes. But I, in my professional life and my professional work, try, try to be a bit more cognizant that there are hopefully things happening behind the scenes and that if you do it now, you'll probably just do it badly. But I, yes, I, yeah. I, I'm really struggling with this message, right? Because I don't want to say, oh, we'll never, no, 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 you're right. never yeah. be upset with inaccessible things, right? So where do we, how do we balance that? I, I mean, you're, you've worked in this industry for a long time. I, I want to hear your thoughts. How, do you, how would you advise community members who are angry with a company to, to balance those two things? Well, I, I think you're saying as well, like we have to balance our expectations versus business guidelines and business expectations as well. I mean, it's one thing if one company says they're never going to do it or this is not on the roadmap. That's I think is an unacceptable answer, no matter where you go. I'm sorry, accessibility is not on the roadmap. I know I've been a part of those conversations before. <laughs> you know, you send email off to a company and they're like, yeah, well, we're just not going to change those spans to buttons because it's not on our roadmap. And that's just unacceptable to me. I think that's when we need to get loud. But if we receive responses and if we 
know that somebody has, has a team or even an individual, like you said, as part of an accessibility team, I think we need to encourage them to do their job to a certain caliber. And you're absolutely right. I'm on a really big push right now to focus in on standard operating procedures around, around accessibility because there are things that can be repeatable, scalable, uh, you know, in, in organizations, but yeah, that takes time to write and it takes time to get buy-in and it takes time to find stakeholders and, and people who are willing to sponsor efforts like that. And I've worked for large organizations before many, many times. And yeah, sometimes if you don't get that sponsor, your project will have no budget. And I'll tell you, it's really hard to do things without a budget. Sometimes I've, I've seen it happen where they will hire an accessibility team and, and not give them an accessibility budget specifically right. in some places to set them up for for failure, mm -hmm. right? Because then they can say, oh, well, we tried to do accessibility. And it was right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. You know, it's empowering the people who can actually make that change too. And, and that's and that's uh, that's all part of this. I, I think we do need people who are quite vocal at those high levels internally in corporations who aren't afraid to paint a target on their back, right? That, that's the unfortunate thing because when you're going to stand up against the corporation that you're hired with, you sometimes have to um, grow that uh, that backbone a little bit. And it's hard. We, do, we need people who are vocal but also understand uh, business as well, right? Yeah, I think I think for me the line that I, I sometimes draw as a as a person with a disability who sometimes in my personal life finds myself advocating for things um, is that when I contact support and they say a screen reader, what's a what's a screen yeah. reader? Blind people yeah. can use computers. Then I get annoyed, right? That's not mm -hmm. that's not great. Right. But I think right. if 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 support is like, well, we're we're working on accessibility, we're building the processes, it's the work is slowly moving forward, or at least knows, hey, we're taking that feedback and we're going to send it to the appropriate people. Mm -hmm. That that gives me hope, <laughs> the hope and the willingness to like be patient and not create a petition. You know what yes. I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm the same. I'm in the same thought. I'm in the exact same thought. You know, it depends on the response and it's not a, I, we don't care or it's not in our roadmap that I, I got to say, that's, that's always the worst way to go. And, I, and I'm saying it because whenever someone tells me accessibility is not in the roadmap, it's like, all right, we got, let's roll up our sleeves and grab my pitchfork. We got some work to do here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there is, there's also something else that, that's, that organizations will do that has the greatest of intentions and then I, I get what they're coming I understand what they're coming from and I understand their thinking uh, but something that I've been seeing a lot recently is there are these sort of places where you can post ideas and other users vote on them mm -hmm. and companies internally will use that to assign things priority and only that and right so, like let's highlight and right. only that right that that's how they do right. everything that's it mm -hmm. but but and so you get into this place where you have to post that you would like the product to be accessible and then get enough votes for it. Yeah. And, and that doesn't feel quite right. I understand mm -hmm. they're, they are, you know, user-driven development. It's the best of intentions, but there, there are some things that are, that are necessary, that are rights, that are human rights, that like accessibility also in some way shouldn't have to win a popularity contest all, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yep. Yep. I like that. And that's, that's that short, uh, short sighted project based work, you know, accessibility is a project once it's a destination, it's there. And, and that's just, you know, a whole other discussion in, in how do we change that mindset for organizations or stakeholders or leaders of how, how do we change their mind that accessibility is an always ongoing thing. It's not like I'm going to stop my legal support or marketing budget because it's done, right? You're not going to stop your innovation or your R&D either, right? I don't think any, any tech company would be in a, in a great place. Every five years, we're going to do an, an innovation project and we're going to we're going to do some research and try and develop something new that's that's not how uh, 
that works. So speaking on research, now the title of this show is how do we get those real users with disabilities involved in the ideation and innovation and creation of new products or projects or services or what have you? Um, so how do we do that? First off, so why is it important and, and how do we involve people with disabilities in that? First of all, diverse teams build diverse things. Yes. That's well known, right? Throughout the tech industry. We've seen it again and again, how products have been developed in ways that fail, not just people with disabilities, but that fail other other minority groups uh, for, for other reasons. And so it's, it's very difficult for you to solve the problem that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And the web content accessibility guidelines are great guidelines, but they're called the web content accessibility guidelines, not the web content accessibility commandments, because they're not, it's not follow these 12 commandments and thou shalt be accessible. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Imagine it's, having to follow 55 commandments, that would be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's a set of guidelines to help you do accessibility. And those guidelines in a very real way don't help you understand the problem. Exactly. And sometimes developers or, or designers will think, oh, well, if I want to understand the problem, all I need to do is, is launch a screen reader on my computer and I can test it myself. But using a screen reader is a skill. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first got JAWS dating myself, it came with a bunch of like 16 hours of training tapes on cassette, right? And uh, the way it was intended to work is you would start the cassette and they'd have a recording of, uh, of a gentleman doing the thing and then say, okay, now you pause the cassette and you try it. This would take, like, I, I did this training for weeks, you know? It was like, I was doing it, I was nine at the time, but mm -hmm. like, looking back, it was like university level, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like, like you're, you're doing this really determinedly. But it, it's a skill, and you develop muscle memory, right? I'm no longer thinking, oh, I want to skip to the next heading. What's the key for that? Right, oh, right. yeah, right? Like, it's just, it's so, it's so muscle memory. I just say, oh, I want to skip to the next heading, and it just magically happens. I don't my fingers just do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and so it's different. And of course, just the voice being, you know, at 300 words per minute, as opposed to the hundred that you have it at when you first launch a screen reader, all of those things mean that the experience that I'm having is, is not the experience that someone who is sighted is having when, when they're testing the product and, and they're not as familiar. Of course, all the settings, right? Screen readers have thousands of settings. They're not a one size fits all solution. Nobody uses them out of the box. And that applies to every other assistive technology, right? Whether right, it's right. the dragon naturally speaking that you've trained to command phrases that you love and that you've been using for 15 years. And now it's an expert at understanding your voice, right? Or, uh, you know, whether it's your, your screen magnification settings that you've, that you've set up just right for you and you have the two monitors. And, and so you can't just as a developer or a designer or a tester, just launch a screen reader and like simulate disability, right? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like those those kind of YouTube videos that were going around a few years ago where it's like, I'm going to put on a blindfold and try and do this task oh, blindfolded man. and it's impossible. And it's like, well, yeah, it was impossible for me too when I was eight and drawing it for the first time, right? <laughs> like you're not, you're not learning or teaching anything really. And so simulationism is, is a trap that we fall into yes. in order, I think, to avoid involving the voices of, of real people. Can I jump in for one second here? Can I just jump in? Because you know what? You, you've brought in something that's really important. There was a there was a study done uh, a few years back where the if you are just to blindfold somebody, if you're using those types of, of ways to increase empathy, it actually has a reverse effect. And if you're just taking your a group of people and saying, okay, let's learn what it is to be blind, and you're putting a you know blindness glasses or blindfolds on on uh, on people and saying, now go use a screen reader or unplug your you know, unplug your your monitor. 
like that's that's really going to be useful. Uh, it actually has the opposite effect and actually increases the feeling of pity, not the feeling of oh let let's let's figure out how to do this. So and the feeling of overwhelming. I've, yes, I've heard it yeah. from people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I tried to use a screen reader, but our product is just way too complicated. We're not going right, to make it right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's worth it just to be aware of those facts before you start an empathy lab or things like that. You really have to design it with people with disabilities and involve people with disabilities or involve people who've who've done this before in a way that can create that feeling of oh, I now I understand um, and, and why why I have a desk that's shorter than uh, than than a standard desk because there may be people here who 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 need that right like and and it's not bad. I mean, the thing that we have found at Fable is that having those video artifacts of somebody trying to use your thing yes. and being unable to because of a small change that you could easily make, watching that happen is one of the best ways to increase empathy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because especially when it's on on your thing, on the thing that you built, right? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes immediately, oh, I didn't, I didn't label that. It would take like two minutes to go label it, right? And it, it, it becomes apparent that these changes aren't overwhelming. They're easy to make, that they can be done quite quite quickly in, in a lot of ways once you once you get the support and the knowledge that you need to to actually do it. And I, I do want to pull back a, a little bit. I there there is a use in which a developer maybe launches a screen reader on their computer because they want to say, oh, did the ARIA that I applied here, is it actually doing exactly what I thought that it was doing, mm-hmm. right? I don't, there's the pendulum, right? Some people push so hard back against this simulationism and, oh, developers should never be touching a screen reader. Well, no, like you do have to sometimes test the thing to see if it does what you thought it did. Or like, you know, maybe you put the alt text in the thing and there's a bug that it's not actually displaying it. You, yep. you know what I mean? Yep, like yep, like yep. There, there is a place for that. But it's it's about, you should know what you expect and you're launching the screen reader or the the thing, the magnification or whatever to see if what you expect is what happens. Yeah, yeah. I can remember the days when I was just starting off with screeners and learning how to use them. And, and you know, when you had nested uh, buttons or things like that, nested buttons inside of divs and things and things would just not read back to properly you know some of the good bad and ugly let's take a laugh here like what what are some of the things that you've seen evolve with these uh, assistive technologies over the years oh my goodness um assistive technology has improved by leaps and bounds in a lot of ways because it's now part of the thing there are operating system apis there are browser apis there are things in the operating system to make this possible. I remember back in the early days of of JAWS, the way that JAWS used to work is you installed a special video driver Mm -hmm. on your Windows computer Mm -hmm. and it would intercept the the video content and do like screen recognition on the screen. That's pretty clever. I used to be very annoyed because I would be trying to read something in Microsoft Word and the MSN thing would pop up to say so-and-so is online. And now JAWS would recognize like that text because it was covering the text. That I right, right, wanted. right. Um, and so, you know, being able to programmatically access things um, has been such a, so great for all of the assistive technologies and for this not to be, you know, reverse engineering and, and hacking and that kind of thing. It's interesting, though, that's where we are in the gaming industry in a lot of places, right? People are developing mods to make things like Hearthstone accessible. And, yes. Yep. Um, and, and we're sort of seeing history, you know, repeat itself in that right now when a game is accessible, it makes front page news in the same way that my father being the first computer science student who was blind to graduate Western. Uh, shout out to Western folks. Now, Right, accessibility for to the desktop isn't isn't that, but like 
now accessibility in games, accessibility in AR and VR is that it's add-ons, it's third party, it's reverse engineer, it's it's a big story when it happens. And I, I think we're going to start to, you know, see the cycle of history repeat again. But I, I have a whole presentation on that. I won't uh, go through that again. I think I have to have someone who's, uh, you know, some 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 game professional on here. It'd be really cool to get someone, you know, uh, who who built the the Last of Us two or something like that on and, and chat about that because or I think it'd be really fun uh, some of the folks uh, sightless gamer that's his yes, tag I don't know his yes, real name yes, yes. but like he he was so involved in that testing process and yeah. I think we all have a good understanding of the testing methodology for like a website right yeah. you you give someone you say okay add this to your cart and try and check out and here's some dummy information and like see if they can get through the order flow process and then you'll know mm-hmm. if it's accessible but like a game is randomized right That's you can't right. be like we'll go go through level one like maybe the inaccessible enemy won't appear on that run through and so anyway i just yep. really really interested to, to hear about the new methodologies that are being evolved did you play or beat last of us too sure did um played oh, i mean beat is beat is a, a strong a strong word it's okay I listen listen sam I, I i i play all my games now on easy mode like i want the most complacent enemies possible because i don't have time to like fight like do multiple battles or anything like that anymore i leave that oh, to the, the next last year. of us 2 has a has a great has a great feature where when, when you're when you're prone or crouching you're invisible yeah um and it's it's great just to just to like go Pacifist through the level mode. and like get a look at it no it's yeah they don't have that but uh, <laughs> I, that quite, I want my enemies just standing there i just want full story <laughs> mode i just want my enemies standing there looking at me growling not attacking yeah, right. me. that's what i want right that's well what I, want. I mean i i found it uh extra challenging because the way that i was was raised as um you know my father being blind and consoles until you know now being mm-hmm. largely inaccessible yep um the the ps2 was the first console i ever owned and I think that a lot of people who are uh, blind are very, very, very passionate about games. And that's amazing. And they've been like, you know, playing their N64 with their brother's help since they were four. Yeah. Um, That wasn't me. And so I'm picking up a controller being like, what are all these buttons for again? How do I? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so, uh, yeah, I, I stuck to easy mode. Understanding that involving people with disabilities as part of your innovations or part of your product life cycle is important. How do we find people with disabilities who want to help us out. Yeah, I mean, in, in a real way, if I if I plug the thing, uh, I mean, I mean that's what that's what Fable's all about, yep. right? Um, at Fable, we have a community of people with disabilities across Canada, across the United States, all of whom are native AT users. And we work w- with them and match them up to the work from, from our customers. And mm-hmm. so uh, because we've built this pool of vetted, talented, qualified, trained, supported folks, we can help you fit accessibility into your existing sprints. We have a, a two-day turnaround because if we're saying accessibility has to be part of the process, what that means is that it has to fit into people's sprints. It has to fit into their dev cycles. It has to fit into their test cycle, right? And so that was a focus for us at Fable to make sure that when you sign up, you now have access to this pool of assistive technology users, and you can now make testing your products something that is repeatable. And so at Fable, we're all about building that that cycle of, of engaging with people with disabilities at every step of the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Sam, we got to wrap up here today. I think I could talk to you for another two hours and we could have a good, you know, I don't know, beer or something like that. Sam, it's been so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining today and have a great weekend. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com 
www.thinkbigbrand.com and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.